This podcast features adults using adult language, but you know, you gotta grow up sometime. Listeners, this is a very special mid-season bonus episode of Gotta Grow Up Sometime, a Swan's Crossing retrospective. I am your host, Libby Grant, and I thank you for joining me for this very special episode wherein we shall delve into the dark mysteries, the shadow realms of Swan's Crossing. Little is known about the reclusive Clayton family of Swan's Crossing, though they have been a fixture of the town almost since its founding. The year was 1838. In a serene coastal village, possibly in Maine, but maybe in Rhode Island or Connecticut or like that one little corner of New Hampshire that touches the ocean, the wealthy Swan clan was lording its expansive estate over the upstart Booth and Rutledge families, who had moved to the area in 1823, having been displaced by the economic crisis that followed the New York run on minibikes and the resulting crash of the novelty-shaped telephone market. The Swan family's wealth was more secure, having sprung from their long-standing manufacture of percussion instruments, especially triangles. Into this complex web, the earliest known ancestor of the Clayton dynastic line flew like some huge buzzing wasp. But did the sticky societal filaments of Swan's Crossing trap Alistair Crowley Clayton, the wickedest man in New England? Or did Alistair Clayton trap Swan's Crossing? Alistair fifth great-grandfather of the 20th century enigma, young James Clayton, kept a low profile when he first settled in the Maritime Village. He set up a distillery near the site of what is now the Atwater Laboratories, but even in those earliest days, rumor held that Alistair Clayton was familiar with more spirits than just brandy and gin. The residents soon began to notice mysterious changes to their once ordinary town. A dark, imposing forest grew up on the grounds of the Walker Estate overnight, and no amount of plowing or burning could hold the vegetation at bay for long. Even at high noon, the Walker Estate remained plunged in darkness. Inside the great stone manor houses of the wealthiest families, an even more unsettling anomaly was documented. Every fireplace would rotate, unpredictably, to reveal a vanity for putting on your makeup, complete with a sink with functional plumbing. And most terrifying of all, a vast cavern opened below the ground, a pit filled with snakes. No one could explain why it was there, or where all those snakes had come from. The 
residents of Swan's Crossing privately agreed that Alistair Clayton was behind the mysterious changes to their once ordinary town. Surely the reclusive distiller had opened a hellmouth. But rather than driving Alistair away, the ambitious Booth and Rutledge families each sought to make Alistair an ally in their separate quests to bring down the Swans and ascend to the pinnacle of Swans Crossing society. Few historical details remain to tell the story of the unholy alliances made between Alistair and the Booths and Rutledges. Although these proud clans documented and preserved their histories with great care, most of the journals and letters dating between 1838 and 1842 have vanished. Some modern Rutledges and Booths insist that the documents were burned or otherwise destroyed in an attempt to erase the most shameful and frightening chapters of their family stories. We do know matriarch Orion Muffingsley Rutledge would thereafter speak to those years as the Dark Necessity, and referred to Alistair Clayton from then on as the Great Beast, while the only document that survives from the Booth clan is a parchment which details a contract of sorts between Alistair and patriarch Gregory Booth, and appears to be signed in blood. On the obverse of the parchment, an exhortation to vote for Mayor Swan as mayor. What dark forces did the reclusive distiller of Swan's Crossing marshal during those years between 1838 and 1842? We may never know. But we do know that sometime during that obscured half-decade, the mighty Swans fell abruptly from their perch, as the formerly reliable market for novelty, single-tone percussion instruments plunged to virtually nothing. The Rutledges and Booths, drunk on power, and perhaps on Alistair's booze, began the pattern of seesawing influence and ascendancy that was to become established tradition for the next 144 years. But these two ambitious families were not the only clans who nurtured their growing power in the unassuming seaside town. The descendants of Alistair Clayton never left Swan's Crossing. Generation followed generation until, in 1977, young James Clayton was born, the seventh son of a seventh son, and in the seventh generation of sorcerers who have called Swan's Crossing home. Not since the days of Alistair had the Clayton clan seen a young person of such undeniable power. Jimmy needed no training from his father James, who, a powerful wizard in his own right, exhibited a penchant for necromancy and for making his lifelong friend, Elia Walker, believe that every other place on Earth had ceased to exist, rending reality itself until all the Walkers came to believe that Swan's Crossing was the only place left. Yet Jimmy's potency exceeded that of all his forebears. With natural aptitude and unthinking ease, he doubled the quantity of snakes in the town snake pit, enchanted his mini-bike so it would be the fastest one in town even though all the mini-bikes in town were ostensibly the same, and convinced the local mechanic to open his shop to Jimmy despite his young age and the fact that it's actually illegal for 15-year-olds to work. That's called child labor fats, and it'll put you in jail.
Jimmy's powers only seemed to increase as tension mounted once more between the Rutledges and Booths. Did the conflict between these two perpetually warring families fill young James with unchecked might? Swan's Crossing reeled under his displays of inhuman power. Operating on the old alchemist's principle of as above, so below, Jimmy enchanted the bangin' 1950s convertible of Sophia Eva McCormick de Castro, tying the young woman's sexual appetites and proclivities to the state of her carburetor, which Jimmy alone could tune. His manipulation of the gears inside Swan's soda shop seemed to cast an inexplicable spell over the youth of the town, compelling them to dance until exhaustion overtook them, even when no music was playing. Indeed, was it Jimmy's magic that stole the sound out of Owen Fowler's Casio? And if so, to what purpose? Despite Jimmy's unremarkable appearance and lame yellow jacket, he became the hottest item among Swan's Crossing teens, pitting, by his mere presence alone, the sexpot Sophia against Callie Walker, both of whom should have been smarter than to give the time of day to that misogynistic dope. And some began to notice a strange, otherworldly echo when Jimmy Clayton would speak. Nowhere, everywhere, riding. We may never know whether this scion of the Clayton clan had anything to do with the appearance of mysterious, bald, pale, black-suited strangers in Swan's Crossing, not unlike the men in black of American occult lore. Nor will we ever know how Jimmy got his minibike back to the shop after Callie removed the fuel line. Maybe he pushed it, or maybe he performed an elaborate arcane ritual to open a portal from the park to the tool and die, which would explain why he was up all night wouldn't it? All we know for certain is that Jimmy, and the whole Clayton family, is the greatest mystery of Swan's Crossing, and he is definitely, for sure, a sorcerer. Well, that's all I've got for you for the mid-season bonus. I hope you enjoyed this dumb little short story I wrote about Jimmy. Um, we are going to have another mid-season bonus episode on July 3rd, and then we'll be back with our regularly scheduled episodes on July 10th. And I'm so excited because Nathan and I are already having a blast recording them. So thank you for always as listening and uh, catch us on social media at gotta grow up pod on Twitter and on Instagram at swans cross pod. I finally finished the book I had to get done by a deadline. So I'm back to creating stupid, stupid gifts of all your favorite swans crossing characters and posting them on social media. And I can't wait to share them with you until next. Well, not next week until the week after next week until July 3rd, my friends. Uh, bye! What is this? Get a Jimmy Day? You gotta split.